Hey there. Welcome to the Bandroom Podcast. My name is Dylan Maddox, and I am so elated to be joined for the first time as co-host, the wonderful Kate Nishimura. How's it going, Kate? It's going great. I'm really, really excited to be your co-host. Yeah, this is exciting. We just had a, a great conversation with Kenley Christofferson, which we'll mm -hmm. talk about here in a second. But I just want to say, Kate, you did a phenomenal job. That was amazing. Thank you. It was uh, <laughs> it was easy, really, when you yeah. when you think about it, just talking talking to another person. Yeah, I'm not regretting this decision at all. Wonderful. So that <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Off uh, to a good start. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one one thing I was wondering, and I'm going to put you on the spot. But because, um, you know, we, we have talked about it, um, but what what are you most excited about, about being a, a host of the Bandroom podcast? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I've I've been a guest on this podcast twice now mm -hmm. and have always thoroughly enjoyed talking to you and answering the questions. And I I think I'm really excited to be on the other side of the equation, to be the person to ask questions of other guests and learn about the stories that other musicians have to share. Uh, I, I've done a lot of, you know, meet the composer Q&A session type <laughs> right, things. Yeah. And I've been asked a lot of questions. Uh, so I, I really look forward to having the chance to put other people in that position and, and to take on the role of, of asking the questions and, and learning about people. Uh, I also just I love the band room, the, the, you know, hypothetical, uh, right. band room that I've always sort of been a part of and has felt like home to me. So the idea that I would get to be part of conversations that center around that, you know, that's really meaningful to me. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. And it was, it's like, even just in the first week of our, of us brainstorming and, and, you know, we have like a Google doc, so we, that we share so we can see each other writing questions and whatever, in writing our notes time. and stuff. In real time. That was weird. Edits in real time. Like, There's her little. <laughs> like watching little... you backspace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then watching me anyway. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so it's, it's been a really cool, uh, for me to have your added perspective and, um, I know I've, I've, I've talked to my wife about it, but it's, it's like, these are the, this episode, no pressure. And I don't know, I don't think I'm over speaking about it, but some of the most, you know, original and deep hitting questions that have ever been asked on the band room podcast. So, so it's, it's been, <laughs> it's been really great to you know, get out of my question rut and, and, you know, have a injection of of change into the podcast. So that's been super cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I love yeah. to make people think, you know, so I'm, I'm glad to contribute my, making my me pressing work harder. questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one thing, you know, that, uh, I think in celebration of this being your first episode that people should do is maybe just maybe they should consider leaving a review and a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to fine podcasts like this one and give the Bandroom podcast a rating and a review. And why, Kate? Because <laughs> I, I realized you didn't have that in front of me. Uh, this I don't, really I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> it's because it really helps other people find the podcast. Yeah. So, <laughs> and it, you know, you're not paying for this. So why don't you just go click the five star preferably uh, and, and tell us yes, how please. much you've enjoyed the podcast. That would be a great help. Um, but uh, yeah, 
how about that conversation with Kenley? That was amazing. So inspiring. I feel like, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed hearing him speak about everything that he spoke yeah. about. And I think, I think we have a similar kind of relationship with him before we talked, we kind of like knew of each other and maybe have talked a little bit, but that was the first time yeah. we really got to you know, sit down with him and, and pick his brain. And I was just amazed uh, and enjoyed so much how, uh, He's just a great person. That's the first thing I recognize. Yeah. And uh, both as a teacher and listening to him talk about teaching and we talked about his upbringing and, and, and all that stuff uh, and how it might not have been the smoothest of paths into uh, music mm -hmm. school and all that. But hearing him just be real and talk about those things and, and the video game music. And it's been cool having yeah. you uh, uh, talk about the, maybe more of the composition side of, of his life. Was, it was really nice to hear you, both of you speak about that. Yeah, it's always interesting for me to to speak composer to composer, right? It's we all we do something similar, but we have such different perspectives and different processes and priorities. It's it's so interesting to uh, to get to hear him speak about that. Yeah, and uh, and the 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 other thing I wanted to say was I just think he was a great first guest for the both of us because he's kind of like a, a mix of the two of us <laughs> when it comes to it's his true. career. Composer, <laughs> so was, educator, and yeah. blending the two. Yes, I agree. yeah. So it was really nice. Um, and we talked about so many you know, great things. He's composed for video games. He's concert music, his teacher, family life, balance, you name it. It's in this episode. Um, and we also recorded a bonus episode, which is probably the longest bonus episode we've done yet, which was great. And we talked about, you know, we dived a little bit deeper into talking about his student success and, and the enjoyment that he's had seeing that. And also, uh, we had a great discussion about video game music mm -hmm. that dove a little bit deeper. So that was yeah. super cool. And you can check that out if you become a supporter of the Bandroom Podcast by visiting uh, patreon.com slash bandroompod where uh, you can, uh, I don't know, you can give us $3 a month. That's it. That's a coffee, folks. That's a coffee. Um, and you can get uh, various incentives, the bonus episode that we recorded, some behind the scenes things. Uh, what else? Monthly hangs, not with only me now, but also with Kate Nishimura. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, come hang out. It's yeah. going to be a fun time. And the other thing I want to point out, and this has nothing to do with Patreon, is the fact that um, we were talking uh, on Monday and uh, we realized that I've been pronouncing your last name incorrectly for probably <laughs> four to five years. There we go. Yeah. So Never too I've, late. Yeah. I've been walking around the house going, Mora, Mora, not Mara, <laughs> Mora, Mora. And I didn't slip up once today. Yeah. yeah. No, you were great. Thank you. You too. Mm -hmm. And with that, <laughs> here is our conversation with Kenley Christofferson. for another exciting thrilling bandroom podcast for multiple reasons but i think the most important reason why it is so thrilling is because kate and i are joined today by music educator composer extraordinaire mr kenley christopherson so welcome to the bandroom kenley oh thanks so much for having me this is great and where are you coming from today this is quite the pro setup we are seeing here 
Yeah, so um, I am a music educator, a high school band teacher here in Selkirk, Manitoba, Lord Selkirk Regional Comprehensive Secondary School. So right Ooh. now we are in my shoebox office uh, at my remote teaching setup. So I've got uh, I got a mic for, and in our case, Teams, but we're doing Zoom today. Uh, okay. It's over the piano, so we can play some stuff for our remote rehearsals and and all that uh, and all that jazz. And uh, and then we have another microphone fancy for the uh, for the recording setup for you today. So it is Ooh. it is quite the rig today. It's pretty yeah. Exciting. This is a real precedent for future future guests. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, enough about your recording <laughs> setup. Um, uh, I'm really trying to move away from asking guests just to tell us about the, right at the beginning. But I think for you, it's super interesting that one of your earliest music inspirations actually became a major part of your career. So I was wondering if you could. Tell us a little bit about your musical beginnings. Uh, sure, yeah. So I'll, I'll try and keep it pretty brief. There's a bit of, a bit of ground to cover, but uh, there are really four things that happened over the years, and they're kind of all at the same time. Kind of how like when you're a kid, time is so relative. <laughs> so the first is that a cousin of mine moved into their family when I was in my early teens, and, and she played piano by ear and she showed me things. But like in hindsight, what she was really teaching me was how to figure things out by ear. Um, I took piano lessons for a while and it didn't really stick, but like this was, this was different. And then around the same time, at least I think it was the same time, my family got its first computer, an IBM Aptiva, four and a half gigs of memory, which Ooh. was like astronomical <laughs> at the time. It's like gigabyte. our cell phones now. <laughs> Gigabytes. I mean, <laughs> amazing. Um, anyway, so one of the, the preloaded pieces of software it had on it was called MidiSoft recording studio where I could like import MIDI files and then export the data as notation. So it was nothing as robust as like Sibelius or Finale. This like Sibelius and Finale were like the twinkle in MIDISoft's ear or eye right now. Um, anyway, so being a, a child of the late, I don't know, 80s and the entirety of the 90s, there was a genre of music and arts that was more um, available to me than the generation mm -hmm. above. And, and that's video games. Not to say that Atari didn't have some interesting things, but like around the NES, Super Nintendo Genesis, like we're in the golden age of 8 and 16-bit music. Anyway, so I'd import like the MIDI files of music from my favorite games, and then it would all get rendered in notation. So I got to look under the hood of my favorite music. Um, that was really about our generation's music. It was, there were no parents playing video games. Like now, you know, video games are kind yeah. of ubiquitous, <laughs> but it wasn't like that then. Um, so this was like special for our generation. It was our media and, and really like going through all these MIDI files, it was very elementary, but I, I was really learning to score study. That's what it was beginning. And then not only that, I could write my own music with Aptiva's like bleepity bloop sounds. <laughs> and it was like the very, it was the very beginning of composing, like the very, very beginning, like the sandbox of composing. Um, <laughs> what was really missing was a sense of literacy. And that's where high school right. concert band came in. Um, so I, I grew up in Gimli, Manitoba. That's a small fishing and tourist town on Lake Winnipeg. Um, and we got a new band teacher in my grade eight year, Mike Charlotte, and he totally energized this rural Manitoba band program. And like, to be abundantly honest, I was a, a mediocre trumpet player at best, but I absolutely, <laughs> but at least I, a trumpet player, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like I, I totally adored band, um, like not really playing the trumpet as much, but like the experience of making music together. And so yeah. of, of course we played a bunch, like that's, you know, that's a big thing, but, but understanding like scales and key and form really started to help me understand like what was happening in music from like film and pop music. And 
wouldn't you know, video games. <laughs> so yeah. um, he led me scores. And then based on my earlier MIDI soft projects, I'd like start to, to see how it all fit together and really see the big picture. Okay. And then the last thing, really short. Uh, the last <laughs> thing was that I started learning guitar, um, like locking cool. myself in my room every night and learning 80s Metallica. <laughs> it was like, it was the first instrument that, like, that I could actually really, really play. Like I had some kind of facility and dexterity. I was, I was a pretty dreadful trumpet player that couldn't play higher than a G. So I switched to euphonium in grade 12 and then like mm. stumbled my way into music school. And then that's undergrad and that's how it started. <laughs> You switch to the cello of the brass world. Wow. True story. <laughs> Euphonium. Yeah. Well, that's, no, that's great. And it's so, it's interesting to, I mean, you talk about it so humbly. Like, oh, I just started <laughs> analyzing music and score setting. And I, and I, you know, I, I think we all kind of think like this often. Personally, I was doing some weird, like I, I would used, I used to listen to jazz solos and write them out, but like an A and then an arrow pointing up or <laughs> IA and I would never know to hit. No, but, you know, all these early experiences really help build us. And um, I'm going to throw it over to Kate now for the, the next question. Yeah. So I was wondering, as a composer of both video game music and also concert music, can you tell us if or how the creative process is different for you between the two genres? Yeah, uh, Absolutely. So for concert music, well, like that exists a lot at the piano for quite some time. And like sometimes the music starts with with a melodic fragment or or an idea. So I'm thinking about um, like third movement of Transcendent Light starts with it. And I had that in my head for a long time. And then that kind of spins out from there. Um, but just that little fragment, that little seed. Um, it might exist like a harmonic progression or a texture or a tone color. Sometimes I chart the whole thing out like a sound wave. And I make notes on like where the music rises and falls. Cool. Um, so with like uh, this, one of the pieces I did in grad school called the Colossus, it's about, you see, it's about giants, it's about hunting giants. And, um, and you see the giant and it's like really big. And then you're really far away from the giant and it gets soft and then louder and louder. And as the, as the piece progresses, you're going closer and closer and it gets bigger and bigger. And then kaboom, you're in front of it. So like the sound wave there is about like form on the big picture. Um, I making notes of like, okay, oboe solo english horn solo okay now the brass and like it's just very vague very general so um and then i can work out the logistics of the piano what what actually is the english horn solo what actually is you know um and then at the piano like uh you can adjust the voicings in real time like there's so many times where i played you know the same chord like voicing in like a hundred different ways when finally like oh there it is that's what it is but because you have to do it in real time because there's physics involved in orchestrating okay so now like for video games um i often get a bunch of material first so i'll get story art assets key art which is like the out of game drawings or video and and all that stuff so there's a bit of a, of a reactive nature to scoring games instead of the organic nature of concert work that kind of emerges with a little other uh, stimuli like not always but often um so i do a lot of video game work in logic and with sample libraries so there's never really a sense of something being awkward or impossible which is a pro and a con where you can write impossible parts and when they're when they're impossible they don't sound very good because our ear knows what things should sound like and what what instruments are able to do um but the awkwardness and impossibility of things is something i think about a lot with concert music like going through you know going through the clarinet part and like what's over the break what's or like like i wouldn't i would never do a you know b natural to b flat trill like you just can't but on <laughs> on logic it sounds great um so um i guess the other the other crucial point uh that we could you know go back and forth about is is that music in games 
well, all music in games is functional. Like the music does a job in the structure, whether it's like the opening theme or the town theme or the map music or the battle music, it all does a job and they all relate to other pieces in the game. If you're coming off the map and going into the town, then going into the shop, like all those pieces have to connect somehow. So creating a common sound is, is really important and you just make decisions about that as opposed to like writing for an ensemble with a set instrumentation. I mean, they're both great. They're just, just different. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, you, it sounds like you really started composing and thinking in, in terms of being a composer from a young age, but what was your main push to becoming a school band director? Cause that's a little bit of a different role. It is. Yeah. The, yeah. The role of people in music. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm sure, oh, I'm sure like a lot of professional musicians, but particularly music educators, um, I had an incredible band teacher. And he was the kind of person that you want to be around. Funny, kind, smart. He's a killer guitar player. Um, and and he made you feel like, like this person was all in with you. He was all in um, to, to your development as a, as a person, as a musician. And like he, he wants the best for you and it's radi- it radiated off this human being. And like through the work in our class, like he encouraged us to, to make art, to feel vulnerable, to be emotional and to tell stories. And like, there was, there was one moment when we were playing Jay Chadaway's Mazama, um, which is, you know, uh, as Darren might say, a bantique. It's a bantique. It's got some years on it, a little long in the tooth, but <laughs> it's, funny. uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun for a teenager to play. It's about a volcano. Super exciting. Um, anyway, there was this, this perfectly executed suspended symbol role while the band was crescendoing into this fortissimo moment. And, and it was like just elation, like 15 year old Kenley knew that was it. Chills. Was just like, yeah, you're just kind of chasing that. And then you spend your whole musical life chasing moments like that. Right. And I could, I could do that with other human beings. And especially during, during those pretty tumultuous times of their life. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I could be the person that my band teacher was for me. And like, that's yeah. powerful stuff. I mean that, and I just love band. <laughs> oh yeah, well, that's a good reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know that that's really you know in, inspirational to hear. You know, I, sometimes we, we hear about music teachers because our parents said, "Hey, do you have a fallback?" Yeah, being a teacher. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> oh uh, no, yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> well, I mean, like, and and teaching. <laughs> when people say, like, you know, should I go to performance or education? Like, remember that all education is performance. Mm-hmm. Like, you're performing. Mm-hmm all the time Um, because you are, I mean, you are yourself, but you are a different, a different ratio of your attributes in front of teenagers. Um, It is not the same as who you are with your partner or with your parents or with your grandparents or at home by yourself. Like you, you bring, you bring different parts of yourself to the rehearsal. Um, And that's not to say that it's disingenuous in any capacity, but it is, um, it is about, I, I hope, bringing the best parts of yourself forward. Mm-hmm. And like even in, in life, like that is such a great feeling that we as teachers get the opportunity to really bring our best every day. And when it doesn't work, we can just say, well, we're going to try again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm. And speaking of, of that exact topic, you know, trying to be your best and, and, and fostering uh, the best for our students, uh, there's just so many... With you, Kenley, there's just so many ways we could go in this conversation. <laughs> so a lot of these questions, I'm just kind of bouncing all over the place. But um, mm. I know we just met, but uh, I ha- you have inspired me greatly this week by sharing uh, your podcast, Band Together. 
Um, and I'll talk more about that later. But um, I know it was part of some of your graduate work at Brandon University uh, to look into intentional development of a positive bandroom culture. So I was wondering what led you to do some research into that topic and to create a podcast to present, I mean, to present a, an aspect of, of your research. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for saying, like, firstly, thank you for listening. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Like there, this is a really, really important topic to me, really dear to my heart. Um, and, uh, and thanks for being open to it. And I'll, I'll I'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I did my undergrad at the U, at the U of M as a uh, euphonium major, focusing on education, doing the uh, the the combined program, and then I taught for a long time, mm-hmm. and then I went did some graduate work. I was not the I was not the person to do undergrad, grad, and like just go down the line because I mean, no, <laughs> I was really, gosh, uh, not a really great undergraduate euphonium player. Um, I just didn't know, and the reason is because I didn't know how to work. Um, and I promise I'm getting to the grad work, like in just 30 seconds. Um, this is what it's like in my classroom. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, like I, um, I just didn't, I didn't know how to work and, and I started euphonium in grade 12 and like what I should have done was taken a year off or two years off and actually gotten to the right level. Um, but I got there and life caught up with me. Uh, I failed theory two. I think I never failed a course in my life. Um, failed theory two. So Baroque, uh, Baroque theory. I failed my jury. Fun fact. The only person I've ever met to fail their own jury and not like got a C mm. like, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so I finished year five, finally finished major practical study, but, um, but like by year three, I was starting to get it. And, um, and I, I had a very patient, uh, euphonium teacher, Steve Dyer, who's the principal trombone of the WSO. Yeah. And he said like, and he said, you know, you're, you got some work to do on the euphonium, but he says, I know you're going into education and you're going to be a pretty good teacher. So let's keep this train going. <laughs> and as it would turn out, I'm a better educator than I'm a euphonium player. <laughs> um, so I, I, and I started composing and stuff, but I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And that was a big problem with, I mean, the first, the first couple of years, I think of any, of any teacher is they just kind of don't know what they don't know yet. They're still figuring it out. So once I started to, to know my patterns and know what was really important to me, then I started to pursue some graduate work. I knew which direction I wanted to go. And now we're getting to the graduate question. So, <laughs> so I did my graduate degree um, at Brandon University in Manitoba. Um, I studied composition with uh, Dr. T. Patrick Carabray. Plus some conducting with uh, Dr. Wendy Zander McCallum, who was on your show a little yeah. while ago, and then some education research with Dr. Sheila Chadwick, and the last one was the culture research. So just to see, okay. just to see the garden a little bit here, my research um, focused, like you said, on the intentional strategies used to build positive bandroom culture, meaning the choices and plans that teachers make on purpose to foster a really healthy band uh, culture. And, and I've heard parents say to me, you know, there's just something special about the band room or the choir room or the theater or, or whatever. But what they don't know is, is that we're making decisions to make it feel that way. It's not magic. It's strategy. And I think that a lot of those yeah. band rooms, um, yeah. band teachers think of that way a lot. I hope, I hope so, because <laughs> not every band room is like that. And I've been in some band rooms that don't feel like safe and inclusive places for kids. So in my research, um, I interviewed seven band teachers from six programs um, of various demographic categories, like small rural junior high or large urban high school. And I asked a series of questions around what they do specifically 
to build and enhance their band room culture. Um, and I guess like mm-hmm. if, if we're going to be, you know, clear, the interviewees were selected because, because I've been in their space. And let me tell you, like when you walk in, it feels like, like a holy place. And we've all been in band rooms like that. So the participants let me record and share the interviews. And that's the podcast. The podcast is just our discussion about school culture. They're the field notes for the paper. And they're really, really insightful talks. And just to, again, really lay it down thick. The podcast is called Band Together. And I encourage your listeners uh, to check it out. It's uh, bandtogetherpodcast.com, also on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. If you want to read about it, uh, the paper (laughs) was published in two parts in the Canadian Winds. And our Canadian listeners can check that out. I don't know what... If, if I think it's, you can just like can it's like a PDF kind of thing they can find it. Yeah, okay. you can access it on on the CBA website and, and download a PDF. Oh, right on. So we'll make sure to to link that. And if that if Kenley's plug wasn't enough, now I'm going to shower him with compliments oh, my because uh, my I I started this podcast actually the same year that you did that research um, mm-hmm. and that your podcast came out. And uh, so I really didn't know what was out and I had no idea about this until this week for some reason. Um, But I think especially as we find ourselves in the pandemic uh, and, you know, not being able to communicate in person with with great music educators and hear about these conversations, this podcast this week was just the most uplifting thing that I needed to hear. there's some really phenomenal music educators and I haven't even finished listening to it. But if we just talk about even like the first episode with your, with your teaching partner, Michael Brandon, Michael Brandon brings the truth in that first episode. And he said some stuff. I'm like, you, you're right. I have to work harder. I need to try harder. (laughs) And then, you know, we go to the next episode with Alexis silver and I'm like bawling my eyes out while walking to work. Uh, and, and, you know, there's, and I'm, (laughs) so there's just a lot in there that, um, that people can, can gain and improve their own teaching. And there was even just some little things that I tried to apply this week in my wind ensemble rehearsals because we're in person. So even the simple act of standing at the door and welcoming everyone and making eye contact and affirming them and validating them made the biggest difference when we started rehearsing. And that was from your wow. podcast. So I just want to really plug this and please go check out the band together uh, podcast. You won't regret it. It's there. It's awesome. That's oh, all thanks I so much, Dylan. <laughs> like I think, and I think that so many music educators, um, I think so many of them really do think about this. And I, I, mm-hmm. I really believe that. I've presented the paper um, in Saskatchewan. There's Saskatchewan Music Conference and then at Tempo, which is our Manitoba conference. And there are like lots of teachers who are nodding like, mm-hmm, like everything you're mm-hmm. saying and I've been doing for a long time. But then there are also some eyes who are looking at me like it's the first time they've ever heard this. So um, it really reaffirms to me that, you know, common knowledge is only common to those who have it. And we can't. Mm-hmm we can't take any of this for granted. And like everything that we do as educators that makes our programs better, I think we need to share. We've got to like sprinkle those seeds in all the gardens. Um, Because when we do that, like the winners are our kids, the winners are our students. And um, like Manitoba, from my understanding and my experience, we're not terribly competitive. 
Um, so I mean, the first the first session huh? of our music, really? yeah, of our like music <laughs> conference is like coffee. Is like, oh man, I'm working on this tune. Like, oh, how are you teach this part? Like, oh, try and like we're just like sharing sharing strategies and tips. Right. And, and uh, who are you going with for band camp? And like all these different things. Like we're just mm-hmm. sharing. We're we're sharing all the time. Um, that's that's my experience with it anyway. I mean, I don't know if other people yeah. have a different experience, but yeah. And I think um, what you mentioned, you know, whenever you were giving talks and some people were nodding, yeah, I do all that stuff. But uh, I think why people might be interested in listening to this, personally, like I agree with you, like I did know a lot of it, but I needed that reminder because, you know, I would walk in and not leave what my feelings would come onto the podium with me, especially this year when we're going through so much ups and downs and we never mm-hmm. know what's happening. So um, I, I do encourage people to go listen to that. Uh, the other question I was wondering is how have you and Michael been building a, a positive band culture in this new and exciting world that we find ourselves in? Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> well, I guess like, <laughs> to be clear, um, like intentionally and methodically, like we're, we're making decisions about how we're going to do this and how we're going to go forward. So um, on a good year of no pandemics, uh, the primary role <laughs> of, of the teacher's job is to take care of the kids, like period, full stop. So during this year, we turned the amps to 11 and we needed to focus <laughs> our efforts on really connecting with kids and connecting with our students. Like from a non-playing perspective, and we'll talk about the playing in just a second, from, from a non-playing perspective, like we spent a lot of time talking with kids and hearing kids and asking them deep questions and giving them time to, to think and, and answer. So if we ask kids how they're doing on a given day from, you know, from one to 10, we need to hear the eights and we need to hear the threes. There was one day uh, just a few weeks ago where, where a lot of the class was like feeling pretty down and they looked down and they could tell in their body and their faces. And so we just asked them and it turned out to be about sports. They just really missed playing sports. They want to like it was uh, it was when this big volleyball tournament was going to be and they didn't get to talk about it because no one had asked them. And we can't just say things like, yeah, but you'll play again soon or or look at all the resilience you're getting, which to an adult sounds like a great thing to say. But um, one student told us just a few weeks ago, uh, he said, I'm just so tired of being told how resilient I am. Because what he really wants to do is just play volleyball, right? And and we need to hear that. We need to make room for them to be upset mm-hmm. and to respond with no criticism of their feelings. Just yeah. like, yeah, that's that's really hard. I, I hear you. Um, and then you can even go even further. You know, yeah, it's really hard for us too. You know, we we're really looking forward to playing. We can't wait to play. Uh, this isn't. You know, and they'll they'll say things like, "This isn't what I signed up for," and. We hear them like, yeah, you're absolutely right. This is not what you signed up for. It's, I know it's really hard. You know, it's not what I signed up for either. We just got to keep paddling in the same direction. Like, let's get through this together because we're going to play again. The calendar is going to keep rolling, everybody. And mm-hmm. uh, and if we're either going to be apart or together, but either way, like it's going to get warmer. And if we're playing in the band room or we're playing outside, like we're going to be playing, the calendar is going to take care of that for us. There's no choice we can make about that. And we, we aren't in the ability to, to change what the government says. So yeah. um, I hear you. It's really hard. And like, that's a great thing to say to a kid. Yeah. yeah. Without any sort of like, like you just need to dot, dot, dot. 
They don't they don't need to hear that right now. <laughs> no, just just so to have a, your your experiences validated by somebody, by an adult, right? And to have somebody say, I hear you and I get how you feel and and it's okay to be upset about that. You don't need to always be thinking positive. There's this whole concept of toxic positivity, right? That the notion that we always have to find a silver lining. Sometimes it's okay to just acknowledge that it's really tough. So it's it's great that you've been able to set that example for for your students and your community. Thanks. Yeah. Um, can I talk about the playing part? As you know, of course. As, yeah. Um, so um, <laughs> that's the exciting stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, so when we okay, for example, like when we were on lockdown last spring, uh, and everyone like everyone was home, and it was like things were pretty scary. Um, I just couldn't get any work from one of these great twelve clarinet players. And, uh, and the year was wrapping up and I was like pleading, like, just, just give me something, just hand in like one or two things. So I could even see what outcomes you've met. Like, just give me anything. (laughs) And she said like, she couldn't even get herself to put the clarinet together, like without sobbing, saying like, this is, this wasn't the way it was supposed to be. It was her senior year. We were supposed to have a band concert and this isn't the way grad was. It's the smell of the case. Yeah. It's all of that. Right. (laughs) And so, um, so we need to find a way to use whatever medium of playing we can to try and like connect with kids, right? Because they're dis they're experiencing quite a lot of dysregulation. And, you know, kids, that's what they're supposed to do. Like teenagers especially. They're supposed to experience dysregulation and they need us adults to just help them co-regulate. That's like their job, your job, my job, right? Um so from a playing perspective, I mean like remote rehearsals, I'm not gonna say they've been like inspiring and brilliant, but they've actually been pretty great. And like please like don't get me wrong, they aren't they aren't a band rehearsal. Like we're not celebrating a climactic moment or a delicate ballad or whatever like you know yeah, but, no chills no suspended symbol chills. <laughs> no but but we can celebrate each other we can unmute the mm-hmm. bass clarinet player's mic and celebrate this great line they had or this awesome tone of a trombone player or this like really great articulation of a flutist or clarinetist like what we need to try and do right now is we need to find reasons to celebrate that are actually authentic not just like um, celebrating the circle on their screen in Microsoft Teams. Like, okay, great, you're here. Like, let's find something that that is ability-based within reason that uh, that you can celebrate. So we're not like fabricating success, but we're strategically picking parts of the music that legitimately need to get worked. Um, and then and then working it. Like there's, um, I have a, a starter trumpet in grade, oh goodness, grade 11. And she came from flute. And so she's uh, got a little bit of work to do. But uh, she was trying to trying to get that E. There's this one part in their, their third trumpet part. And it's like, you know, you hear this like, okay, no, not yet. Oh, almost. Keep going. And we did this like for probably two or three minutes. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Keep going. You're almost there. So close. There it is. <laughs> Good job. And that's it. And like, awesome. And then like, we all like put our hands in the air and she got it. And like, she laughed. Okay, good. Moving on. And like, that's it. Like, we're not going to have a parade about it, <laughs> but we're going to celebrate what's real. Yeah. Like she really did it for real. Yeah. Good for you. Okay. Moving on. Well, that's a great reminder. Cause I, I know I'm, I'm very blessed and lucky that I am maybe in an in-person situation. Um, but I, I know many of my music teaching colleagues are, they're doing the remote thing and, and it's, it's you know it's frustrating it really is sometimes but to to hear what what you mentioned and really just celebrating even you know that e is a really important thing to to lean on Mm -hmm. this year especially because it can't be blowing smoke it's got to be real because they know teenagers have bs detectors and they're really good (laughs) 
so um yeah. so it has to be real like because then the next in, in the next part we were working on this the solo section i had a backing track going and like my lead alto you know locked in the you know dorian to mixolydian to ionian it's like hey you actually like you actually nailed that 251 way to actually land on the dorian at met bar whatever and she's like yeah and so i mean i'm giving two different kinds of feedback but they're both real and like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's something we get to say every rehearsal is like way to land on the that d dorian <laughs> during like no that's not a common thing that comes up so she's you know i'm making sure i'm hitting the high flyers i'm making sure i'm hitting the ones that need work like i'm just making sure all flowers get water that's awesome mm-hmm. um this is something that you and i have in common but i know that you have had the pleasure of mixing your love of composition and teaching together sometimes teaching your students about composition um can you tell us a bit about how you develop and foster your students creativity yeah um so i'm i'm really lucky uh in that i teach in a big comprehensive high school so uh, in my high school there my high school in gimli uh we had band and jazz band and like woodworking and engines like those are the extra courses so in 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 the high school i teach at now which is kind of a big comprehensive vocational high school um there are lots of kinds of programs so you know photography uh culinary arts auto technology like there are lots of different kinds of things so our music program gets to be pretty diverse um because it's a big school and like we have a department which is a lot different than the lone band teacher in high school or a junior high or whatever so i'm i'm really lucky so one of the courses that i get to teach is is composition we call it composition and orchestration technically so the first half of the year is really skill based on craft um, and the second semester opens up around orchestration and expanding ideas. So one way we just kind of get the ball rolling is in our first assignments, you find a 10 to 20 second stock video on the internet and like write music around it. So it's like a cup of coffee being poured or like a box going down a conveyor belt or like a slow pan of trees, like something that's just so mundane. And then you have to write something to it, right? So, you know, for for our, uh, let's say it's like trees, you know, you get someone like doing something... It's like really sad, but then other people look at the same trees and like, oh, listen how great this is. It's like the warmest, most beautiful tree. So that's kind of the idea. Um, <laughs> and then you get some, you know, some of those, which are really fun too, of the box <laughs> going down or like the machine being built. And uh, anyway, so it's not really dependent on like harmonic structure or form or anything. It's just, it's a snippet to see what they can do. And then you get these off the wall things, which are really fun. And then again, they get to celebrate each other and you learn a little bit of logic on the way. Anyway, weird synths, crunchy trumpets, whatever. (laughs) Um, So uh, this, and it also helps me see like which direction they need to go. So one year I had a crew of like high flying band students who are all piano players. So we barely got to talk about harmony at all. I could say like, okay, the one chord to the four chord, and then we're going to do the two chord and first inversion. And they were like right with me. Mm -hmm. And it was like crazy. And like, that's a super exceptional year. Um, Another year I had folks who were into music technology and they just wanted to do like like logic and production and all that so we went that route it's different every year but always in the end we write 16 to 32 bars for band which turns into like 64 to 90 bars for band um and that's the final project because they they learn how to you know use finale or sibelius they learn how to make parts and then they give it to the symphonic band and to all their friends and then we play in june and we celebrate each other it's it's really really it's really really cool um in uh this past year it's been really hard because there are some students who are super motivated by the solitude and by expressing themselves in a time where it's hard to express themselves and then like my clarinet player i mentioned earlier uh some who just can't access 
that place. They just yeah. can't get to that creative space. So um, the first half of the year is is not about writing your magnum opus. It's about learning to write uh, to write harmony. So let's say you're doing, I don't know, Silent Night. Sorry. And then so then you're writing. Uh, that's not the right harmony at all. <laughs> there we go. And then now you're doing, um, how about this one? And you're starting to like expand that kind of like, how do you, how do you make your, how do you melodize your harmony and how do you harmonize your melody? Mm-hmm. Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then once we get through all that stuff, then we start learning like, okay, we're gonna do the woodwinds now. And then, then the, the genie's out of the bottle and then they start just going. <laughs> right. And then it's, then it gets really creative and cool. Yeah. Well, I was, I, I was interested to hear, um, what, what you were going to say about this. Cause I know one of our very early on in the pandemic, one of the first guests that uh, I had on was, was another, well, transplant to Manitoba, uh, Pete Meekin. Um, and we were talking about, you know, serving how to, how to achieve a certain degree of learning outcomes and developing not just students who perform, but well-rounded music students. And one of the big things we talked about was, was composition. Um, and certainly I know you and, and in our research for this episode, I, you know, I know everything about Kenley now, but he is, <laughs> he always beats himself out about this euphonium performance thing. But I, I feel like you were a very well-rounded student. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I, <laughs> I just feel it. I don't know it. I'm just feeling it. Well, <laughs> I, I know, I don't know. I don't know how to say this. Uh, one thing we try and talk to our kids a lot about, which was really uh, trendy when I was in university was like teaching kids how to learn and how they learn. And like, mm-hmm. I have a pretty good understanding of how I learn and, mm-hmm. um, and what's interesting, like what's interesting to me. So I always get kind of stressed out about the performative nature of performance. And like, just let me explain that a little bit. Um, I get nervous about not being able to go back and fix a mistake. And mm. that like, when you, you got to run leading up and you got to, I don't know, do you're playing something. And then you got like, and then you got a high G you got to land on. And that sounds great, but actually it turns out to be like, I'm like, oh no, I missed the G and I can't go back to fix it. It's gone now. G is like my, <laughs> the bane of my existence. I don't know what it is about, about, about three ledger line G. I just, I don't know. It's like I say, and I, I can hit an A, I can hit an F, but G, there's something about it. Um, anyway, and, uh, and like that, that freaks me out. But what I love about composing is that I can go back and go back right. and go back and go back. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's something we talk to our kids about with composition is like, maybe you feel like, uh, like trumpet isn't the right key to the right door, that there are lots of different mm-hmm. ways to be a musician and there are lots of different mm-hmm. ways to be successful. And, and, uh, and you could be lots of them or you could be one of them. And like, wherever you're at is where you're supposed to be. And we tell it, yeah. we say it to kids that's a lot. Awesome. Um, and, and speaking of composing, I mean, we've spoken a lot about your teaching, but you are uh, one of my favorite composers. Uh, actually, I have oh, two of my favorite so composers much. on the call right now. This is amazing. I can't believe Aww. it. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, but I, <laughs> uh, it, it's all it's all an act. No, I'm kidding. Um, anyway, <laughs> one thing I need to say is I'm sorry. There's a snowstorm here and there's a giant plow outside of where I'm recording <laughs> and it keeps going by. I'm like, how much salt can one put down? But anyway, um, <laughs> Uh, one thing I, I've had the great pleasure of doing, um, some of your music with, with a number of honor ensembles that I've worked with. And, uh, it, it's, it's always been a very rewarding experience because I know so much 
um, and Kate and I have discussed this before, but there's just so much music out there. I don't know. That's just written for music's sake. Something, something that might sound like angrioso, something like that, you know? Okay. Um, yes. uh, but, <laughs> but I find, I find your music just really, it doesn't only serve the students or the musicians musically and technically, but you also do an amazing job at serving uh, emotionally as well. Um, so I was wondering if you could speak about that. And is that a, a really important aspect for you whenever you, you take on a new project? It, it is really important to me. Um, that's, that's, not to, that's not to say that I can't be moved by, I don't know, Adagio mm-hmm. in F or Sarabande or, or whatever. Um, I'm just, I'm just yeah. more interested in music with a narrative context. Um, and, and I'd hazard a guess that most students are too. Um, I mean, more students play my music. I mean, I've got some, I've got some hard stuff, uh, that's, you know, inaccessible to a lot of high schools. Uh, but most of my music is kind of like grade 10, 11, 12 centric. So anyway, uh, when students play the music, like I want them to be part of the story and that they have something to say. God, again, music is life, right? Like, uh, I want them to be part of the story and I want them to have something to say. I want them to play a character. I want them to feel like they're, um, like they're a contribution to the piece and that they have a part in sharing, uh, sharing the story of the music, I think. So, yeah. But I, I, that being said, like, I, I really do appreciate that, that you said my music strives to, to serve students, um, in, I guess in more ways than, than technically, because yeah. um, that's that's like really important. Because as a euphonium player, like <laughs> I have played my share of whole notes, so uh, I think like tech, like technically, it is, it's kind of important too. You got to give someone, you got to give everyone something to do, and that's really important to me as you know, and as a euphonium player. Um, but like everyone just needs something fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that what inspired you to write your euphonium concerto? I had um, I had this one bit in my head uh the euphonium concerto starts with uh key, God, keys an f um it starts with, like this octave jump in seven eight and then like you know anyway and i had that in my head for a really long time and so when i got to grad school um my advisor uh my, my advisor looked at some early work i had like he brought something i said like oh i just wrote transcendent light he's like great listen to it like okay close the book Anyway, and then he said, what do you want to play? And uh, that was it. Like, wow. <laughs> um, but, uh, but uh, and, and so I said, like, I kind of am thinking about a euphonium concerto. He says, perfect. Let's get started. Um, and then I played him this one thing. And then we just talked about design and stuff for a long time. Like, we spent a lot of time in grad school talking about um, artistry and design and symmetry and, like, kind of big big concepts and like we got into you know voicing and stuff like that too but like he was really interested in in what are the next steps and like specifically complexity and like what are the next levels of complexity here so like you know you've got it's like you you do you know you do one and then you do something else and then sometimes you do five which is cool and then sometimes it gets kind of fancy and you resolve down to four or four at nine and like that's really nice but like, what if instead you did, I don't know, like something like this, and then maybe you could use all your leading tones to find a way back to one like this. Oh, that's nice. And like that kind of thing right. of like, how do you break the mold? Um, how do you do what's unexpected? And um, and, and it was gonna, kind of getting off track here a little bit, but um, doing what's unexpected is was a, a big chunk of my graduate work mm-hmm. um, is if not this, then what? 
Right. So you know the key centers of the euphonium concerto starts to you know F minor, and then we go up another something to A flat major, go up another minor third, and then another minor third to B for a while, but only just for a little while. You don't want to punish the band too much. <laughs> uh, and then we go up, uh, and then we go up to D, and then we're back at F minor. And like, hey, it all goes up in minor third. It's cool. You get like, you, yeah, you get you get back to home, but you get there through a different sort of way, right? The hobbits find their way back to the Shire, but they're different when they come back. <laughs> yes, always. That's right. Yes. I think every guest needs to have a piano now. This has been great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you set a precedent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're in one of my rehearsals right now. Okay, so clarinets. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I think it's it's so interesting for me to hear from somebody else who plays like a low wind instrument. I'm a bass clarinetist mm-hmm. myself. And it's so interesting to talk about you know, that perspective, just playing a, a lower instrument, having to sit with whole notes and rests and things like that for so long, perhaps it informs the kind of, you know, compositions that you create having, having that perspective. It, it does. And like, there's a place for whole notes. Don't get me wrong. But as I would learn in my graduate work, like, but what else could you do? Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Thanks. Well, uh, one of your pieces with possibly the most emotional weight is your matters of kindness. And in writing about this uh, collaboration on your blog, I know that you've noted the significance of using music to help process something as a group. Can you share a bit about this experience and and what you learned from it? Yeah. Oh gosh, I just learned so much. Um, So in in 2014, yeah, in 2014, I was commissioned by the music program in Olds, Alberta to write a piece for a student of theirs named Madison Fleming, who had passed away from type one diabetes at the age of 16, which is totally devastating to me. Like one of my worst nightmares as a music educator is to, to lose a student. And like, especially now that I'm a parent, Oh, like losing a child. Gosh, I'm like getting like emotional, just even like thinking about this. Um, Mm -hmm. it, it felt, um, it felt like, like a lot of pressure. Um, and I, I thought like, oh, maybe like, maybe this is too much pressure. Um, cause this is something like you've really, you've really got to get right. Um, but the educator, uh, she chose me to ask. She could have asked anyone. She asked me. So, I mean, I really like, I faced a lot of fears and, and, and really I felt like I would honor her request. And that's kind of how I, I thought about it. And I accepted it. And as soon as I read her obituary, uh, the child's obituary, I felt like we were, like kindred spirits she valued kindness above all else which is something that's deeply deeply important to me too like not just not just being nice but like kindness as a way of being in the world as as the default setting so like she she's someone who refused to let her her optimism and her zest for life be be whittled down by her disease. I'm, I'm I think back to this one story where she walked 22 kilometers in Vancouver to find a cupcake shop that she saw on TV once. Like she was unstoppable. <laughs> um, her and her and her positivity uh, like was was contagious and 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 radiant. And like the more that I learned about her, like the more I just felt like I needed to write this. So over the course of of a, of a few months. I wrote it and edited it and then sent it to her band teacher, uh, Carrie Anderson. And, and she, she loved it, which was a huge relief. <laughs> and then she sent it to Madison's mom who replied to me like with, with a letter that like makes me like almost weepy, like just, just thinking about it. Um, 
and and later that year, yeah, so later that year, I went on sabbatical at my high school to to write, to compose. And while I was at a writing retreat in uh, in Banff, I connected with with Mrs. Anderson to meet her students at Olds High School. And we handed out the music and like the look in the eye of those kids, like of of Madison's friends as they as they got their part, like written to honor their friend. Like, God, you want to talk about the power of music education for kids? Like yeah. there, there it is. And I mean, of course, we 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 prepped, we we seeded the garden, and we talked about how this might be a really tough experience for them. Uh, but some of those kids, like playing that piece, like weeping and sobbing for their friend, maybe for the first yeah. time, I don't know. But like it was something, I mean, it was something that I'll never forget. But really, like, I hope it was something that, that they won't either. Like, that's just just visceral music education, like capital M music right there. Uh, but I mean, like, like Kate, you're, you're a composer too. Like what, and you're, you have, you have lots of pieces that can really connect with kids. Like, do you have anything that you might want to share about connecting with kids too? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, you can ask. Uh, I don't know if I have any experiences that are quite that powerful in the sense of commemorating a student lost, you know, or something like that, but I definitely uh, feel the weight of that. And actually one experience that I I can connect to it is uh, with my piece Chasing Sunlight, which I'm sure many people are familiar with. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did get an email from a band director somewhere in the US um, who was experiencing something similar as as to what this community was that you were talking about, Kenley. Um, They had had a a student tragically um, pass away and... Uh, I believe it was a car accident or something mm. like that. And so really, really sudden. And this student was their lead trumpet player in the ensemble. And so this student had been playing, working on the trumpet solo in Chasing Sunlight. Oh, and wow. so for the rest of the ensemble to figure out how do we make up for this loss now, we're going to go ahead and play the piece in our performances and our festivals, our concerts without our friend, without the person who was leading the section and was representing this uh, trumpet solo full of hope, you mm-hmm. know? And so that experience comes to mind, you know, when you were sharing yours, just that um, what, what they ended up doing was they had the entire trumpet section play the solo together. And I thought that was a really, really nice way to uh, for them to come together and, you know, honor their friend and also the music. And for me to be the composer who sort of accidentally created something that allowed them to process this together, you know, that's a pretty powerful thing. I'm sure you can relate to that as well. Yeah, that's oh, what a great story, Kate. That's so beautiful. And especially because it was not written for that that purpose. And I think like no. when we write music, we we have to set it free, right? Like we don't own it after that. Like the ensemble owns the experience, and mm-hmm. um, and wow, I'm just, sorry, I'm just kind of processing what you're telling me. Uh, they're telling us rather. Sorry, sorry, Dylan. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, we're I like to tell you about my piece that I wrote. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, like just that, just that that we set our music free to the group yeah, and that that, yeah. and it can be a lot of things. It can be something very different than what we expect. And that can be really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. One thing I, I was thinking about while both of you were speaking about your, uh, your pieces was 
I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a, a creator in, in that sense, but I do get to interpret both of your works quite often, actually. Um, and I'm grateful <laughs> for music like you're talking about, because although, you know, maybe the ensembles I'm working with aren't the, the ensembles they were written for, they, they give ample opportunity to connect what is going on inside of us and, 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 and emote it. And that really gives a great opportunity for students to express themselves and have like a real musical moment that they can connect life's pain and joy because of your music. So I'm, I'm so grateful to have uh, music like both of you are writing to, to work on with, with students and players all the time. Oh, thanks, we're all charged up now guys we're all charged up let's just have a little cry <laughs> session right now no <laughs> uh one thing that i really want to talk about and i feel like i'm going to say this all the time but kate kate and i have talked about this but uh you're uh, quite active as a composer and not only you know concert music but we talked about your video game music you're a dedicated teacher uh like just from listening to the podcast and and hearing you talk about teaching has been really great um and if that's not enough you have a family you have a wife you have a child how do you balance all of these roles and one one easy answer would be great no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) oh well um i gosh i really that's a really complicated question um and i think i'm going to take this in i think a direction (laughs) maybe different than anticipated um because i think the answer actually is is quite terribly um, and I hope I don't take it in, in two different direction, but, um, I wrote a post, uh, I wrote a post on my website, maybe like, I don't know, the beginning of 2020, it was about my, my dreams, which of course turned out differently than January of that year. Um, but like, as they this, did for all of us. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Right. Like, um, and, and there's this triangle that, that I have and it says, uh, on one, on one vertex, uh, you know, on an involved, husband and father. And then the other one is like a working and active composer. Then the other is like a, a dedicated educator in the middle. It says pick two. And that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, mm-hmm. So from like 24, 2014 or so to like 2018, I was thinking that like the intensity of writing and teaching was becoming really overwhelming. And that like, I would, I might have to like choose something. Cause I just mm-hmm. couldn't, I couldn't keep the pace going. I couldn't teach from seven 45 or 9 a.m until 3.45 or 5, depending on the day, and then come home and like spend an hour with my wife and then write until midnight every night. Like it was just totally unsustainable. In hindsight, totally unsustainable. And if we're being super honest, totally unfair to my super amazing wife, who is (laughs) one of the greatest, smartest, most brilliant, kindest people in the world, Mm -hmm. and for some reason has decided to keep me around, (laughs) which I'm so grateful for. And, um, And I was just... And I guess like I was starting to normalize like the perpetual exhaustion that I think a lot of people in music education kind of feel because often like a lot of us aren't just educators like we're playing in bands, we're doing extra work, we're, you know, we're doing more than just our job and then have families and committees and whatever. Um, And then around like 2018, 19, which is like grad school time, birth of child time, um, I was starting to be like quite emotionally dissociative I think like I couldn't access joy or hope and like my legs were constantly throbbing and I was having problems walking and climbing the stairs and like it was a really bad time but that being said uh I started going to the doctor amazing I started going to counseling and okay this is and this is the big thing get ready for this I'd take my whole life to learn this I started saying no to things 
which I very rarely do. Um, like at the time too, I was doing quite a bit of arranging for the WSO. Um, and there was like one call in t- I think 2018 or so. I got a call to arrange 10 tunes for a concert with this like rock band. And I had to turn it down. I'm like, yeah. let me tell you, it's hard to turn down your civic orchestra and like <laughs> probably a pretty radical paycheck. I, I didn't see any numbers, but like 10 tunes. Probably great. Anyway, I just couldn't do it. I just, I just couldn't do it. Um, and I think as musicians, taking up my glasses, I know you guys in, on the internet can't see this, but <laughs> things are getting real. Yeah. Um, I think, I think we don't talk enough about burnout in our profession, and I think we need to find ways to to take care of ourselves and to take care of each other. Um, I often think back to what Rob Kroll said in his band together sessions. Uh, don't give away all your soup because <laughs> you need soup too. Yeah. And, um, and I understand of course our careers have ebb and flow. Like it's not crazy all the time, but like when I just couldn't decide a, a direction for a lot of, I was writing band music. I was writing video game music. I was arranging, I was teaching like I couldn't, I didn't have a lane. So I was doing all of the lanes and that's the problem. Um, now, I mean, I just, right now my family and my job are, I mean, bless everyone's hearts they're just really overwhelming right now like it is a really intense time so i'm gonna get back to writing maybe in the summer or something i've got some some irons in the fire uh i have a choral piece coming out uh any week now that i wrote in 2020 like one of my few compositions but um but i i'm learning that like there are limits and that you like people can do everything but the cost is so great that we have to be willing to accept the cost of 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 not achievement. That's not quite the right word, but of of breadth of a breadth of work, um, mm-hmm. and then it comes at a cost. Because I mean, also at the end of the day, like I would like to hang out with my wife and my kid. Yeah, and I'd like to uh, I'd like to be the best teacher I can be because like these teenagers. Uh, they really need great adult, adults in their life right now. And I need to be the best adult I can be. And that might mean like going to bed at 10 o'clock sometimes instead of midnight. I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts about that, either of you? Certainly what you, what you're saying is, you know, that big, the big one, no, being able mm-hmm. to say no is important. And uh, one of my thoughts, and I, I think like maybe the, one of the first converse, real conversations Kate and I had, we were talking about balance and finding it. And I, I remember I did a workshop with Mallory Thompson uh, once and someone asked her the same question. How do you get to that? The place of balance, they said. It's like a location that we get to <laughs> and we live in it. And she went, um, well, first of all, it's not anywhere you can fly to and uh, balance is a verb and it's always happening and we're always we're always trying to, you know, do, as you mentioned, where I want to spend time with my wife and my kids and okay, now I need to go over here. But just understanding that this is part of life uh, yeah. and that it is a, you know, a seesaw of sorts and that, that it, it, it's going to continue, I think is, is mm-hmm. one thing, a point of acceptance for me that has really helped in, in stressful times and just realizing that, you know, we'll go up or down um, at, uh, again. So yeah, that's what I guess. It's, it's funny that you yeah. mentioned that Dylan, because uh that day that we we met for coffee one day like a few years ago and and mm. we talked about this and you told me this story and 
I wrote it down in the inside cover page of, of my planner, of my notebook that I was, I had with me at that time inside the cover forever from that day on said balance is a verb. And you know, that it just really oh. stuck with me. I, I connected it to the idea of, you know, people say, talk about finding love, you know, but love is a verb too, right? It's an action that you take yeah. and, and same goes for balance. Um, I ended up uh, making a, a big change. You know, many of our listeners will have heard me talk about this uh, transitioning from teacher to full-time composer. And I, I resonate so much with what you said, Kenley, about just feeling like, you know, you want to be the best at everything that you're doing. You want to be the best teacher you can be. You want to give 100% to your creative work. You want to be present in your personal life and your social life. It's really hard to give 100% to all those things all the time. I think that talking about it is so important and maybe one aspect of being the best teacher you can be best, you know, all, all these roles that you play is being human and, and showing that humility and, and owning up to when things are hard for you coming back to, you know, building the positive culture in your classroom. It's the, it's the same ideas, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those passive lessons to kids uh, can be inspiring on one side of the coin and dangerous on the other. Because mm -hmm. we have a lot of high flyers who are in advanced everything and need to get 100% in everything and they will get there at, at any cost. <laughs> and then and then we celebrate them for their achievement and they're like dragging themselves up to the podium, right? So we, we need to be <laughs> yeah. careful that we are modeling like healthy, um, healthy relationships like with ourselves. That like we know not what our limits are. It's not about limits, but like what we are willing to put ourselves through. Cause I, like you said, Dylan, like there are times of feast and famine, there's ebbs and flows, highs and lows, all that stuff. Um, but then there are also times where uh, the reward isn't worth the risk to one's own self, mm -hmm. right? You don't want to lose yourself mm -hmm. along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Can I share one quick thing about that? There was one time where yeah. uh, it was a really crazy year. I think we we're like just coming off of a musical or something. I can't remember. And, um, and I was like, bagged i was really tired and i thought to myself <laughs> i hope i don't get any contracts for like the next little while because i just need to rest and then like the next week i got called into this this game studio for a meeting and it's like oh maybe maybe i, I don't know i don't know if i can do it and then i walk past uh the animators and they're animating something and i said oh, kind of looks like kind of looks like huey dewey and louie anyway and i walk into the office and then the game is ducktales I'm like, oh my God, I have to take this. <laughs> like, I have to, it's like, yeah. So the, 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 uh, the, the company, I mean, like I, I wasn't working for Disney, but like Disney was contracting the, the company to make the game, um, right. the developer. And, and it's like, oh man. So, you know, just like in your head, you know, like, oh no. And then it's just haunting you and like, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, sorry. I've ruined your night by that's going to be in your head all night. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, like I just had to take it and like, oh, and then you, then you crawl to summer. And I think I watched the whole office in one week that summer. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, like, and like, that was a time, like I, I said to my wife too, like, I just got to take this. Like, this is like once in a lifetime, I got to do it. Yeah. And it was really fun. It was really cool. It's called DuckTales Scrooge's Loot. It's off the yeah. app store, but you can watch videos on YouTube. Sorry for the plug. Oh no. Okay. It's, it's thanks, thanks for this, letting me this go on about that. <laughs> this is one of the most, like, I think, shocking things that I learned about you. Because I know, I think I read it, like, I've read it before that you 
had composed music for video games. But then uh, once I was watching all these all these trailers of you know little clips of scenes from the game, and then hearing your music, I was like, oh, this is this is the real deal. <laughs> this is like some big stuff. Um, so it, it's super cool to see, uh, and and uh, and certainly now to think about how how does this influence your music hmm, hmm, mm-hmm. that I'm that I'm working on and things like that. Anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting just to to learn about a composer, you know, thinking about the perspective of us of students and teachers that are playing your music potentially to hear you speak about all of these things and to to learn all this background info. It's so interesting. One of the ways that I've learned more about you is reading your blog. Um, I I really enjoy reading mm-hmm. people's you know, personal writings, um, getting some context to things. And on your blog, you mentioned something that you call lighthouse music. And I was wondering if you could explain mm-hmm. to our listeners what that is, uh, what that means to you, and if you could share an example or two for us. Oh, uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, thanks for reading my stuff. Of course. <laughs> I, I don't update the blog quite as, as often as I'd like, but I think I should. Maybe I'll get back on that. So uh, I was talking with a colleague a while back about like the intensity of grad school. And I was like, I was in the thick of it. And they had just finished a little while earlier. And I joked that like I needed a break from music. And it was kind of like a joke. And I felt I felt kind of bad saying it, you know. Um, And he said that after he finished grad school, he was like messed up about music for a while. And like everything became this structural or mathematical sound model with like no emotional or artistic engagement. And like, I've certainly felt that too. Like, where I just can't engage with music, like in any, in any kind of meaningful level, like meaningful emotional level. So lighthouse music to me is like the music that brings you back to the proverbial shore when you get nice. lost in the proverbial sea. <laughs> um, like music that reminds you that you love music. And sometimes it's fun music, like that you have great memories with, or um, sometimes it's like really musically nutritious music that you just like marvel at. Like, like you just don't understand how something so great could have ever been conceived, like that kind of thing. So, so like in, in the, the latter case, I think about Morton Lauritsen's Luke's Eterna. Um, and he's obviously like Morton is like Morton, like we're on a first name <laughs> yeah, basis. Or me something. and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Lauritsen um, has like written, I mean, a, a jillion amazing beautiful marvelous mm-hmm. things um but like the luke's eterna to me is like it's like that kind of sound that's like a warm blanket that's constantly wrapping itself around you it's like eternally in motion and at rest at the same time somehow um and like on a compositional level like it's so elegant and it's so beautiful like he's just i mean a, a master right like another example of just like music that is like speaks to me is um uh oh okay like annie lennox singing into the west from return of the king from lord of the rings if i have to specify that return of the king is from lord of the rings lord of the rings is kind of old now um kids don't really know what it is no way you know oh yeah no they don't it's it's like i mean it came out when i was in grade 11 right like fellowship came out in that way um i guess i'm teaching yeah yeah, i still i'm teaching adults so they're still of that generation yeah um so uh but like something about into the west specifically like just it does it does something to me mm-hmm. like i have this like this feeling of, like welling up in my body like from my feet like all the way up my body and it reminds me it reminds me that oh yes you actually do still mm-hmm. like music yeah. right good <laughs> um yeah like it just does something what what um what about you guys oh, what about you Oof. Kate? Putting us I'll on the spot here. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm making you go first. <laughs> I'll go first. Uh, I mean, right now, the 
the album that I've had on repeat is an album by Maggie Rogers. Uh, often I, I listen to, you know, classical in quotes music and, and other band music and mm -hmm. things like that. But I've been experiencing a bit of a return to pop music, uh, return to my roots. And mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, her new album Notes from the Archive is all music that she wrote when she was younger. So she kind of has experienced a surge of fame, I guess you could call it in recent years, but she put out this album of music that she recorded long before that. So I've, I've been really um, taken by, by that, by those songs. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I actually, well, not the same, but also uh, pop music. Uh, I think it was, was it last summer I played with Sarah McLaughlin? Oh yeah. At, uh, uh, at cool. the Such a cool stage. gig. Such a cool gig. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Jim Sprague, who is last week's guest. Mm -hmm. um, but yes. uh, for the past month, and my wife can attest to this, because I um, people don't know this about me, but I never stop singing. Like, I never stop. <laughs> I never. Um, it's to an annoying point if you live with me. Um, but the one song that I have... <laughs> found great inspiration from i don't know why is from toy story uh when somebody loved me so that melody i don't know what it is but i'm just like and i'm just doing the dishes like crying while i'm listening to it on repeat <laughs> but yeah i think that would be my most recent lighthouse music that's awesome <laughs> oh that's so cool uh, but yeah no and speaking of really fantastic music that you might consider lighthouse music Three weeks, four weeks in a row, folks. Great segue. Proud of myself. Um, <laughs> every month we, we do a, a featured piece and a featured composer. And then usually, you know, I, I, yeah, I guess it was me. Now it's us. But um, pick a piece. Uh, and I, we, I, I read the program notes. That's all I do, folks. It's not like I wrote the program notes. But <laughs> we thought since you are a composer of wonderful music, why not feature one of your pieces? So we're going to feature on this episode uh, your your work that we've kind of lightly talked about, Transcendent Light. So since you're here, would you mind telling us about the piece and, and maybe even about the, the recording that, that we're going to hear? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so Transcendent Light was commissioned by the Manitoba Band Association and like 40 commissioners like 40 different ensembles um on, on, i shouldn't say ensembles on like institutions and people and it was a myriad of, of people who who commissioned it um it's it was commissioned for uh the passing of ken epp and ken epp i know him as the head of the manitoba band association for a very long time but i mean mm -hmm. he has roots in the canadian band association and all across the country um he his music advocacy and and his strength of will and his, his kindness and his willing to build has like, I, I mean, transformed music in Manitoba, but I mean, arguably transformed music education in, in the country. And he, um, he's like, just, he's just a legendary figure. And like, I remember, gosh, like calling the Manitoba band association as a, <laughs> as an undergrad. And, you know, he just would say every time Manitoba band association in exactly the same way. <laughs> And I would drop off my honor band tapes for him at like 11.55 p.m. to his house, to a Rubbermaid, like while my students, while I'm like collecting it frantically for my students for honor band for their audition. And like, it's, I mean, we have, I have so many memories um, of, of him. And, and so I'm super grateful that of all the people they could have commissioned, they commissioned me. Uh, mm. And I, I feel super, super grateful. So the, 
and of course, like with someone who has a, such a storied history in our province, like I could have gone in a lot of directions, but I mean, I, I've, I know him, I know him as, mm-hmm. as like someone who's warm and kind and loves nature. And, and the parts I didn't know, I, I learned there was this one beautiful time I got to, uh, to sit at, uh, his, his friend and mine, Teresa Lee's house. And we, we sat with his friends and they just traded stories for like two hours. I just had a notebook frantically <laughs> kind of writing down and like different things. He always took trains everywhere. Like he took the long way everywhere. And so the first movement, um, which we're not going to listen to, um, the first movement is about uh, is about joy and it's for band and choir. So we had, it had to be kind of work independently and together. So the choir part had to work by itself, the band part had to work by itself and they had to work together. Whole mm-hmm. is more than the sum of its parts. So uh, it's called Tis Joy and uh, it's kind of a variation on... Um, on Emily Dickinson's Tis So Much Joy, but that poem was like really dark. Like it was like, you know, romantic in the way where it was, it was sunny on the surface, but the more you learned about it, like Mm -hmm. it's actually about something really dark, romantic poetry. And anyway, um, so Tis Joy, second movement's about nature, about, um, about taking a walk in nature and just like kind of seeing the holiness of, of things. He was a very religious man. So like the holiness of, of just being right. And um, and that's really powerful. But the last one is about kind of transcending, right? It's about mm-hmm. is about his um, his passing away. He he died of cancer, um, and so it's kind of about the light on the on the other side. So joy is about the light, the light within oneself. Um, nature is about the light around oneself, and then the third movement and stillness, which is what we're going to listen to, is about kind of the light on the other side, the light that's in- inaccessible to us right now, and. Um, and it was really powerful. We, we premiered it at uh, the 2000 and, oh, I'm going to get the year wrong, 17, 2016 or 17 Manitoba uh, Music Educators Conference. And this is, this is so crazy. So the, the Winnipeg Wind Ensemble was the, the premiering ensemble and they were on the stage full of people who've known Ken for their whole life. Mm-hmm. And then the choir was the music educators sorry, Music Educators Conference behind me. And I was in the front row. So once we started playing and singing, the sound was totally around me. The band in front of me, the choir behind me. And my, my wife was there and my, my, my parents came, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife said, like, turn around. And I looked around. I turned around to see, like, 60 rows of people. Like, there must have been 800 people, like, <laughs> singing this. Like, it was, it was like a full theater. It was every, every, every ed- music educator in the province, early, middle, senior, and higher, right. and higher up. And, uh, it was like, I don't, I've just never had an experience like that. Like, it was, it was, it was overwhelming in feeling. Like, I couldn't, it's almost like I couldn't handle holding it all in. Um, and, uh, and so later on, Jason Kasler, who you've had on the show, mm-hmm. Really enjoyed that episode, by the way. Um, and uh, he said, "I think I'd like to do it. I think I'd like to do it with in a uh, with ASU, and I think I want to fly you down, and we're gonna we're gonna make this happen." And I thought, like, this is so cool, and it was such an amazing performance. Mm-hmm. Like, like that that performance is like just like one of my favorite performances of of not like of my work, but like of any work <laughs> period. Yeah, like it was it was so powerful, and like. The, the the choir did an amazing job. The band did an amazing job. Jason and Dr. David Schildkret, who were the the conductors, like they pulled every ounce of music out of that. It was visceral. 
was so yeah. powerful. Thank you for letting me talk about oh, it for so long. You're welcome. It's better than me talking about it for so long. That was much better. And it, it's, it was, it's just, so, yeah, it's really great to hear, hear that, you know, the actual composer speak about the piece. Um, and, you know, and it, it was such a great memorial, but also this, this, not a, a memorial in the sense that it's greatly sad, but that we're really celebrating uh, a wonderful human being who's, who's given a lot for the, to Manitoba uh, band culture in, in specifically. Um, mm-hmm. So we've sadly come to the last question the last official question of the interview but kate kenley and i will be continuing on after into the land of bonus episodes and you could hear our conversation if you might consider becoming a a patron through patreon you can hear bonus episodes you can hear about behind the scenes things you could there's so many things and now there's kate here too (laughs) so you get to hang out with both of us who knows the possibilities are endless you could even get one of these band room podcast mugs okay commercial over but uh we're gonna go talk about that uh but before that i asked this question of every band room guest uh could you give us one or two pieces of advice uh for up-and-coming music educators composers what would it be yeah, so this uh, this got a bump from the 46th U.S. presidential inauguration, but it's something that I've believed for a very long time, uh, and it's this. Don't lead with an example of your power. Instead, lead with the power of your example. Ooh. Uh, to say another way, <laughs> a leader leads by three things. Example, example, example. And that doesn't mean you're perfect. In fact, modeling your imperfection might be the example that some kids need. But you have the opportunity to show them another way of being in the world. And that's that's transformative. And if, if you'll permit me a second tidbit, oh, yeah. um, I'd love <laughs> to remind our educators uh, this. And I just learned this one just a few weeks ago from Dr. Jody Carrington, who's brilliant. Um, and she says, you can't punish a kid into being kind. Mm-hmm. And I think about that a lot. Mm-hmm. We have the unique ability and responsibility to build kids up and we need to use every opportunity to reveal to these kids uh that we see who they can be even if they sometimes act in ways contrary to it (laughs) so we can we can adjust the behavior without punishing the kid Mm -hmm. and again like if we want them to be kind we certainly can't punish them into it we can however Show them what that looks like. I think that's really important. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Your, well, last week's advice and this week's advice. I'm thinking we should start like a band room podcast t-shirt advice kind of series. <laughs> uh, but no, that, that the really beautiful reminders. And uh, I just want to take this time to publicly thank you for, for taking the time uh, to, to speak with both of us. This, is, this has been a really meaningful conversation for me and, and I'm sure for Kate as mm-hmm. well. Absolutely. And... Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess you could speak, couldn't you? <laughs> I could. I could tell you that I feel inspired and and motivated, and my heart has been warmed from this Aww. conversation. I could say that. <laughs> yeah, and it's Thanks, it's everybody. Me it, too. It's just like it's so refreshing um, for, to have to speak to someone who's so open about not only the the successes, but you know how you've gotten there. Um, and I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful to have your musical voice in the world. That is not only a musical voice, but it is a voice uh, for positivity. It is a voice for expression and a voice for improvement. Um, so thank you so much, Kenley, for taking the time to be on the podcast 
podcast and uh, I've, I'm, we got to have you back on. There's so much stuff we missed. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you making time for me and making time for my voice. And thank, yeah, thank you. I really, it really means a lot to me. Here is this month's featured piece, the third movement of Kenley Christofferson's Transcendent Light.
Thanks so much for spending time with us in the band room. If you want to learn more about anything we discussed in today's episode, you should visit our website, bandroompod.com. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the band room and give us that rating and review and maybe tell a friend how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, consider donating to our Patreon page where you can donate to BRP and get some extra incentives in return, like bonus episodes, monthly Zoom hangs with me and a mystery guest, and even some BRP merch. Speaking of another way to support the podcast, you could buy some BRP merch helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on our social media at BandroomPod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what is on the go. And if you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website. And who knows, that comment might be featured in a future episode of BRP. A big giant thanks to composer EKR Hamill for letting us use his piece Skyline as the BRP theme music, which was performed by the University of Toronto Wind Ensemble, conducted by Dr. Gillian McKay. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room. (laughs) 